I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I'm Mike Sealski from The Inquirer, joined, as usual, by David Murphy from The Daily News and Jonathan Tannenwald of Philly.com, running the controls, frustrated because his uh, tech is not agreeing with him today, but now he's calm, so we can discuss Kevin Durant in a more reasonable way this week. Um, Murph and I... I uh, think Brandon Ingram might be the next Kevin Durant. It's possible. We're going to get into that later in the show. Murph and I were at uh, Eagles... Uh, mini camp on Tuesday and standing out in the rain arguing with Dave Spadaro watching Carson Wentz and there was Sam an Bradford. epic Dave Murphy Dave Spadaro argument it was it was epic it was it was the kind of thing where you wanted you sold tickets and sat there with popcorn because it was it was awesome it was worthy of like you know Philly sports talk it was about I'll, I'll give you the highlight the highlight was I the, the whole conversation was about whether you trust I trust my opinion more than a guy like Ed Manowitz, even though Dave Spadaro's argument was, well, Ed Manowitz has the title. You know, he's he's a general manager. Of course, he knows more than you. And I say, well, Ed Manowitz thought Miles Austin, you know, was a good wide receiver. The, ba- the Ed- basic discrepancy was Dave's Dave Spadaro's default position was deference towards someone who has and who works in a in an official capacity as a player evaluation person. Right. And Dave Murphy's default position was skepticism. Right. Um, Challenge I, everything. Right. I was going to say your default position was towards yourself, which would not have surprised me no, in see, the least. No, but no, anyway. no, because you see, that's the, line of, that's the line of argument that Dave Spadaro kept on going down, and that's what prompted the escalation because that was not at all what I was saying. What I was saying is that even when a person in a position of authority tells me to do something or tells me that they believe something, I will consider that, but I will also then use my own eyes and my own evaluative abilities and... You know, if I don't see an obvious reason to defer to them, you know, I will value my opinion over theirs in terms of if it's an area of my expertise. And, and the I, I ended up going to the Kim Jong Il well, and I asked him <laughs> if that just because Kim Jong Il is the leader of a country, would you say that he's a better leader of men than Dave Spadaro, even though Dave Spadaro is not a leader of a country? And he was forced to say that yes. He does believe that because that's what his logic led him to say. It, we're, taking, we're taking the anyway, show to the North Korea. So the highlight of this, so, so at some point. Basically, just real quick. Basically, if, if any of you have seen the film Moneyball, what this came down to to kind of capture it was Dave Murphy was playing the role of Billy Bean and Dave Spadaro was playing the role of the the scouts. Exactly. I felt that's kind of how I saw it. Absolutely. And I will I will take that comparison every day of the week. I'm sure you will. I would say that you would, you would have to find somebody a little more handsome than Brad Pitt to play me if that was the case. But. Thankfully, it was not. Well, in that case, Dave Murphy plays. Well, yeah, I would. I would think that that would be, that would be the the role Hollywood would would pick. The, you, the route so anyway, what was the anyway? Highlight? So the highlight was, I, I ended up saying I know definitively that I would have been a better general manager than Ruben Amaro that Jr. Was the and that set Dave Spadaro off, saying that there's no possible way that now I'm just I'm a megalomaniac. I'm going into megalomaniac territory. And I said <laughs> no. I said no. <laughs> I. I definitively would be the Phillies would be in better shape right now if I was the general manager, and that and that's when the whole thing went off. The rails. It did, it did. But Mark just e- like this podcast. But Mark Eckel from NJ.com and I had a <laughs> and Sal Palantonio from ESPN that's like had Sal a Pal- lot of fun witnessing this argument. It was, oh, it was it was really good. Was, so, why why for all that ESPN was televising of this Eagles camp, why did they not bother televising that? Well, because Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless still have their show for a couple more weeks, so they don't need it yet. 
But it was there's awesome. a possibility that, you know. This is what I do to, to pass time. I <laughs> invent arguments. And then that takes 30 minutes to, to do the argument. It, In be, the whole time, using my keen scouting abilities to watch the Eagles practice. Exactly. And come up with observations, which we were talking off air. And now I'm going to ask Mike Skilski on air because that's how we do. Three observations that you saw yesterday, because okay. I got three in my mind, but I'm okay. going to let you talk. Okay. First and foremost, um, just based on on Tuesday, uh, I'm surprised. Number one, I'm surprised Sam Bradford did not have flashbacks to last season because the Eagles wide receivers, yes, in, in somewhat rainy and wet conditions, dropped pass after pass and drill after drill. So this team, this coaching staff better find a way to correct that, whether it's getting different receivers in here if possible or working on buying stock and stick them or something like that because those guys dropped ball after ball after ball. And yeah, it's interesting how little we've talked about the wide receivers this offseason. Yeah. It, it's it's funny. I love the psychology of the fan base because, I, you know, we get this, they get this reputation for being pessimistic, but I think it's almost like a fatal optimism, which kind of drives them to pessimism because all of a sudden all it takes is Carson Wentz to get drafted number two and you would think that like oh well, if Sam Bradford comes back we can connect for the playoffs and have our quarterback of the future and no one everyone just kind of forgets that the weakest position on the team was not addressed at, at all, all. <laughs> except with Ruben <laughs> Randall yeah like, Ruben uh, Randall and, and you get to the point where Chris, people start talking about Chris Givens as I don't yeah. know if like they owned him in a bye week in fantasy or what but like Chris Givens is this like well, we got Chris Givens like, he can't be worse than Miles Austin well yeah everyone can be worse than Miles Austin yeah and and to, to, to piggyback on that, like just because Carson Wentz is throwing the ball as opposed to Sam Bradford or might be throwing the ball, that doesn't mean these guys are necessarily going to catch it. Like that's, you know, the, Carson Wentz is not going to cure every single ill that the Eagles have. Yeah. It's um, just funny. We, we it, 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 It's it's interesting because this team did not, that, that's the biggest takeaway from this offseason that we need to remind ourselves. This offense did not get better at all, except for the guard. Yeah. You know, they brought in a guard and that's fine, but there was a lot more wrong with this offense than, than, one offensive guard position. Well, yeah. What you mean to say is that when Les Bowen tweeted that Sam Bradford threw an interception, and I thought the whole world was going to collapse, it in fact did not. No, that that's yeah. I mean, look, people go crazy with minicamp and training camp stats mm. um, because there's this inexplicable and insatiable appetite for that stuff amongst the fan base, but it really is meaningless. Having said that, it really was striking yesterday to see how the Eagles wideouts could not hang on to the football. It was really, it was one of those things where you're watching this going, oh my God, this looks like a replay of every game we saw last year. So that was the first impression I had. Second, and just to, well, just to set the stage too, because this is, I'm still in awe over the changing of the guard. We can watch practice now, and that really wasn't yes. the case last year. I mean, during training camp, theoretically, we were allowed to watch practice, but they, Chip would always make it so, I mean, to kind of paint a picture for you, like Scott Fransky on your radio dial, if you were divided into a square in four sections, there's four different fields kind of arranged like a tic-tac-toe board or mm -hmm. whatever, a four square court, if anybody still plays four square. Um, and he would always, you know, if you're sitting, you know, whatever, whatever square would be least opportune for you to see a football field from what you're envisioning, that is where Chip Kelly would have the practice and he would have everybody lined up in like a human shield. And, you know, <laughs> you needed you basically needed the Hubble telescope to get a good sense of what the Eagles were doing during practice. Whereas, yeah. whereas now, and, I, and I'm not sure if you could even watch all of OTA practices or not, but we can actually, we, we were standing, you know, 10 feet from the line of scrimmage yesterday, which was great. I mean, you really can, can start to see. Yes. I, I mean, it's going to, not to steal, you know, your observations, but it's definitely going to look a lot more like the offense you guys saw under Andy Reid, if yes. not a carbon copy of it. No, um, that, that's absolutely true. You can see that 
you can see the skeleton of it already. Yeah, I mean, if you're in a PPR fantasy football league, you, you're going to want to take Eagles running backs, I think, because yeah. that's there's going to be a lot of there was a lot of tight end. There's going to be a lot of tight end involvement, a lot of running back involvement. I mean, none of this is is a surprise to anybody who's watched the Chiefs or the, the Eagles over the last ten years. But it, it's just it, it it is very in a way it's very different from what Chip, Chip Kelly ran scheme wise. But at the same time, there was music going. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, there was some. They were running a lot of tempo. There was remnants of what we had seen the previous. Yeah, it years. wasn't a complete. It, it all, in, in a way, it, it all felt familiar. Like mm-hmm. you're watching the offense and you say, "Oh, that looks like what they did with Andy," and you're hearing the music and they're running at tempo, and you're saying, "Oh, that feels like what they did with Chip." So, um, yeah, I mean, but it was nice to be able to see all that and kind of take it in and not have it uh, treated like it was state secrets or something like that. Um, second observation, um, before we get to the third one, which we'll deal with the quarterbacks, um, second observation was that Michael Kendricks at linebacker has put on some poundage in the lower part of his body from like the belly button down. He looks more like Brandon Graham, uh, than he did at any point in his career. Um, I'm not, I didn't get a chance to ask him why, if a, if that was so and B why, but I wasn't the only one who picked up on that. A couple of people noticed that. Like, wow, he's really thicker in the lower part of his body, whether that's to make him stouter against the run, um, keep him on the field more, I, I don't know. This but is how great our jobs are. You, you just talked regretfully about not getting the opportunity to ask another man about his lower half and, so, the, junk and the junk they're in. And, and it, just in a normal social situation, that, yeah, that, my, I believe that would be uncouth. Michael, what's going on there below your waist? Mike, I got to say, man, you put on some pounds down there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so anyway, so, you know, uh, I mean, everyone's got their thing. Everybody's got their thing. That's right. Thirdly, and this, this was the thing that, that kind of shined through most to me was the, the stark difference in tone from Doug Peterson and the way he talked about Sam Bradford, his quote unquote, number one guy versus the way he talked about Carson Wentz. There was so much more enthusiasm, so much more energy when Peterson would discuss Carson Wentz than there was when he was talking about Sam Bradford. At one point during his question and answer session with the media after practice, he talked for like 30 to 30 seconds to a minute about the opportunity to coach a young, energetic quarterback like Carson and, and the other two guys too, and Sam and, and Sam and Chase as well, um, kind of threw them in at the end. And, and he kept using this phrase, number one guy with respect to Bradford, but it was kind of perfunctory. It was just like, this is what I'm supposed to say because we've all said that Sam Bradford's going to be the starting quarterback. And trust me, if you had eyes and ears, you you could see what the score was based on yesterday. Just, how, how, how far from the uh, press room was the bus parked outside that Sam Bradford was under? Well, it's not that they threw him under the bus per se. It was just more this, like, they're not exact, good. Yeah, it was Peterson exact, is yeah. not... I want to play poker with Doug Peterson because... Yeah you would know exactly what his hand was within within five seconds of, of the cards being dealt. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's true. He can't hide the fact that he wants to coach Carson Wentz. Yeah. And the Eagles are, are doing a particularly bad job of hiding the fact that they, they love Wentz and that he is their future. And that's why we've talked ad nauseum about this ridiculous idea it's of so, Sam Bradford being it's the so biz- It's just such a bizarre... I just was sitting there shaking my head during Sam Bradford's a his press conference, which which was, I thought he would, it was everything that I expected, yeah. and, and I didn't think you know it was funny. I was driving back home after the the press conference was over. I'm commuting back and forth between Bucks County for the next couple of months, like yourself, 
and I have a lot of time to listen to the radio, and I don't often listen to sports radio, but I I, I, wor- I worry about that. I was curious about, it, it, it is a good barometer for what the, the general populace, you know, w- where majority opinion is falling, um, you know, and, and it was interesting because at the same exact time, when you flip back, when you flip back between, you know, the sports leader and the other one, or whichever one they... Whichever concerned. one's leading at the particular exactly. time. Station A and Station B. Station A, the uh, drive time radio host, was ranting about how Sam Bradford just spent 20 minutes lying to everybody and he threw his agent under the bus and, like, you know, like at least be a man and, like, man up and say, this is what, which, frankly, like, I think he. He did. He did. I know. I, 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 didn't, I didn't understand that line mm-hmm. of thought. And that at the, literally at the same exact time, within 30 seconds, drive time host station B is going on and on about how Sam Bradford, you know, how can you, how, how can the Eagles go to war with this guy when he's standing there saying, I know I'm not going to be here, you know? And, 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 so one is ripping him for lying. The other one's ripping him for telling the truth. And the producer says, well, I mean, that's the truth. And he goes, I know it's the truth, but you can, you gotta be a competitor. You can't, you gotta, (laughs) so you gotta, you know, like lie to us, you know, he literally said lie to us. And I'm like, man, you guys should, you guys should, uh, you guys should combine forces. It would be a hell of a show. That would be a, that would be an interesting show. But Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, I mean, Sam Bradford, God bless the guy. Cause it was. It's not hard to pick up on the undercurrent of what's going on. It's it's easily done. Conference. The one thing that that he was overtly, the one thing that he said Tuesday that was overtly false. Yes, was the idea that this the, the whole idea of his not showing up to the voluntary mini camps and workouts was his agent's idea right. because any agent works for the player, not the other way around. Yeah. and Bradford did a lot of, you know, kind of making it sound like. He works for Tom Condon, which is not how this works. Right. So, well, I, but I thought. But by I the same token, what, I he, thought made, he he started. My impression was he started off the press. The only the only time I got the sense that he was out and out lying was when uh, or being completely less than truthful. I don't want to call anybody a liar. Mm. Is when somebody asked him, you know, when did exactly did you leave the voluntary mini camp? You know, and and he kind of there was that Sal Pal report about yeah. you know they're. You know, clearly, I think it was a little more acute than. Yes. I think something happened along the lines of whatever happened with Chip Kelly right. to prompt his firing at, on a Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. But everything up to that, I think, was, you know, I think Tom Condon said, hey, like, wherever you can, like, make it seem like it was me. And, and frankly, I think he wouldn't even, Bradford didn't even throw him under the bus as much as people think because I think he spent the first 10 minutes of the press conference saying, look, I was the one, you know, I was upset. I was frustrated. I right. needed some time away, you know. I called my agent and he said, well, let's get a trade essentially. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. he, he, I don't think Bradford ever said like, oh, my agent called me and said, this is bull crap. You right. know, let's get a trade. No, it, was, I, it was Bradford said I was upset. So I called Tom Condon said, yo, this is, this is crap. And he said, well, I think our best move is to request a trade. Do you know what I'm saying? I think yeah. that's almost, that's more along the lines of what he was saying. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. But, it, but I think, I also think you're right that it, you know, Condon in his role makes a convenient right. scapegoat and that's his job. That's right. what he's supposed to do. Is, but I don't think Bradford was hiding from the fact that no, this was no, him no, no, no. like saying, you know, saying I would rather be somewhere else. No, you no. Know? But what's interesting about that, and I, I wrote this in about a, wrote about this in a column for today, Wednesday, was that it, it, it's that narrative thing, like getting back to the two dueling radio hosts you talk about. Like we need, that's one of the things that sports thrives on is narratives. And and great narratives have conflict at their core mm. and conflict means somebody's got to be a villain. And Bradford throughout this whole thing has been a very convenient villain 
because he's the guy who doesn't want to play for the Eagles. He's the, he's the guy who's not tough enough. He's the guy who hasn't accomplished anything in his career by whatever right. arbitrary standard of accomplishment you want to set up. Right. So therefore, it's easy for everybody in discussing this story to make him the villain as opposed to this just being a situation where like he's a guy who tried to improve his job situation and it didn't work out. And so, okay, now he's back. Like there are millions of people in the world who are in this country who go to work every day at a job and they work hard at it, even though they'd rather be working in another job. Right. And they will work hard at this job until their situation changes. And I think that's where Bradford is with this thing. He's yeah. going to show up to work. He's going to play as long as the Eagles allow him to play. And when that changes, he'll deal with it then. And it's funny because Sam Bradford is actually one of the least villainous yeah, villains like, you can ever. I mean, he the guy is, I, I think has been very sincere. And, and all of this stems from not the fact that he's scared to compete or that he's scared of, you know, or that he's greedy or whatever. It's that he wants to be he actually wants to be in Philadelphia <laughs> playing as with the, the starting quarterback right. for a long time. But I think what but what what people kind of gloss over is that he, he was looking. I think his explanation was exactly as the three of us anyway assumed was the case. He for whatever he, he's never been in a stable situation. He never felt at home in St. Louis. His team was constantly shuttling in and out. His coaches were constantly shuttling in and out. Mm -hmm. And suddenly he found himself in a situation in Philadelphia where, for whatever reason, he really liked it here. Yeah. And it's funny because I heard the same, same, same radio stations listening to callers insist that he really doesn't want to be here. Oh, he doesn't want to be here. I don't know. Why, why? I think the guy, and he said this in, during his press conference yesterday, he said, I've said this all along. This is the place I want to be. I just want some stability. I really like these guys. And, you know, I really like my teammates. I mean, we forget that this is about the 52 other guys in the locker. And they like him. Well, that's... Yeah, so, yeah, well, that, that segues nicely into Murph's observations. So, right. go ahead. But, you're, yeah, you're I mean, three. I think from, that... From that, Tuesday. It's just that we, we just kind of forget that, like, the whole team... Like, what it's like to be on a good on a team that is very cohesive and, ha and you right. feel brotherhood with, right. with your fellow players. It, you know, we put so much of a big emphasis on the head coach, but Sam Bradford, it you know, I don't get the sense that he really enjoyed Chip Kelly's scheme, but he still wanted to stay in Philadelphia because of the other guys in the locker room. And this right. whole thing, I think, it's just why the the irony of this, as you, you say, narrative that we project on, on people is, oh, Sam Bradford's a bad teammate. These guys should kick him out of the locker room. Well, like, I don't get the sense that that's the case There was nobody all. who said that yesterday. Right. No, and, if any, and if anything, there were guys saying the exact opposite. Like, Malcolm Jenkins right. was really insightful about this, basically saying, like, look, we don't have guaranteed contracts as players. Teams cut us, trade us, make moves all the time. So when a guy has an opportunity to conduct business, everybody understands right. that's what he's doing. He's conducting business. You don't. He said, in the same way, I wouldn't go to Howie Roseman and ask, why did you trade this guy right. or draft this guy? I'm not going to go to Sam Bradford and say, why are you not showing up for camp? I'd like him to show up. He showed up. We're good to go. Right. And that's, it's, 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 and the whole thing is interesting just in terms of, it's almost like people want a reason to get mad at Sam Bradford. Yeah. I think it still all stems from the fact that people decided three weeks in, to the season that they didn't think he was a good quarterback and this all kind of is a big psychological exercise <laughs> stemming from that it i think be. speaking of holdouts darren sproles was an interesting yeah that was strange yeah very weird yeah i mean, I mean he, what was your read on that my, i mean doug peterson's explanation was it just doesn't make sense can i offer one as an outsider real quick sure that if i read just the, to set just to set yeah, the scene yeah 
Darren Sproles did not show up Tuesday and is not going to be at these voluntary and it's funny. camps. And there's a report that he is not happy. Right. Or he, he needed time to process the fact that other teams had been interested in acquiring him from the Eagles in a trade, which makes absolutely no sense. Like, the Eagles weren't the ones, by all accounts, shopping him. Doug Peterson said yesterday, we have no interest in trading Darren Sproles. We love him. He's a big part of what we think we can be. So... Why would Darren Sproles be upset that he was wanted by other teams? I don't, I don't I, get it any. Uh, to me, just to answer your question, Murph, and then I'll go. Yeah. Then John, you can jump in. There's something else going on here. There's well, some absolutely. kind of family thing that they yeah. don't want anybody to know. About I mean, or, or it could be as simple as Darren Sproles doesn't, doesn't want to play go. for the Eagles. He wants yeah. to go to a winner. You yeah, know? I mean, he's be. probably he might be looking at it again as, um, wait a minute. I thought we were going to try and win this year. Right. I'm getting old. We just traded all these assets for. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Darren Sproles probably looks at it like... I he's 33, 34. He's, he's an hoping, old man by He's probably NFL hoping standards. this is his last last year or two in the NFL, and he would probably love to get... Yeah. I, I'm guessing he might have a, a opportunity, similar to Sam Bradford, you know, perhaps with the Patriots. I mean, there, you know, there's any of a number of teams would yeah. love to have Darren Sproles, and I, I think... I, I wouldn't be surprised if what we're witnessing is a guy demanding a trade without wanting to incite the fan base by demanding a trade. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it could be any of those things. It could be. Go ahead, John. I, I'm with you on all that. And I just, I I guess my, my question is, if he shows up, practices, walks off the field, and says, I'm not talking today, what, what difference does it make? Who, Sproles? Yeah. I mean, what, what do you mean? Like, if, he wasn't he there. Right, but if he plays, walks, does his practices, Walks off the field, doesn't want to talk to the media. Who's going to force him to talk to the media? Nobody's forcing him to. No, yeah, I don't he think the issue to... is not whether he talks to the media. The issue is just his not showing up for. It's, like, it's right. Fletcher, what I'm saying. like Fletcher Cox didn't yeah. show up. We know why Fletcher Cox didn't show up. Right. Okay. Once his contract situation resolved. Exactly. We know that. We don't know why Darren Sproles right, but isn't my, there. My point and is, all the explanations right. that have been proffered my, don't make any sense. My, right, my, point, my point is that he is not showing up. To me, seems strange in the context of he could just walk off the field and not talk to anybody, and it wouldn't make a lick of difference. But I don't think that that's. I don't think he's not showing up so he doesn't have to talk to the media or anything. I think he's. I. I think that's the thing is it's it. There's really not. No, I'm putting. I'm putting it on him to just say you should show up, practice, walk off the field, not talk to anybody. And he doesn't want to practice. It's, I, it's I, about the practicing thing. I get that, but it's yeah. I, I. I don't think talking to the media has anything to do with it. I'm not sure anybody would want to talk to necessarily. I mean, me. You wanted to talk to Darren Sproles? <laughs> no, I, I'm okay. saying I don't think anyone would want to talk to me. That too, yeah. <laughs> I would never talk to me. Um, I would uh, do that every time. So, okay, so getting but back I'm, to... So, so anyway, the whole, the whole reason Darren Sproles came up, well, it's twofold. One, I think Wendell Smallwood looked... You know, All right, so the most, first this observation. Is, this is going to be my first... This is, and this is the quintessential, absolutely ridiculous observation yes. of not in pads, minicamp, mm-hmm. in the rain, one day, first practice, full team. Wendell Smallwood... He's got burst, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's interesting. I think um, I think it's interesting that that the Eagles did not seem overly concerned about Darren Sproles or about the situation, no. you know, unfolding. Um, and I think Wendell Smallwood might have a little bit to do with that. You know, yeah. I think, look, Ryan Matthews looked good last year. He, he's looked good, frankly, throughout his, his career. career. He just can't. He's almost guaranteed not to stay on the field, especially after that. I mean, he, he missed, what, three or four weeks last yeah. year with that concussion? Yeah, and he was good for them. I mean, he was a much better player right, than but, uh, DeMarco my, Murray. My point is, you almost have to count on him missing three or four yes. weeks. And and the same thing, frankly, with Darren Sproles. I mean, he's he's missed 
you know, at least a game or two mm-hmm. or been hobbled for a game or two every year he's been here. And he's not, as we said, he's not getting any, there's no, nothing about him that makes you think all of a sudden he's going right. to be good for 200 touches, you know? Right. They haven't addressed that position other than drafting Wendell Smallwood, which to me tells me that they think this kid can, can play a little bit. And when you saw him, you know, I don't want to, he did not look like Jamal Charles in terms of like anything but his burst. I'm just saying in terms of size, you know, you could just see out there why they like this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's to, to describe him. He looks like Jamal Charles a little bit. I mean, yeah. he's, he's got that, he's got that build. He's got that burst. He's got that first step. I mean, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if they really do think this kid can come in and contribute as a, as a rookie. What was interesting to me was watching him um, from a distance because he's from wearing a distance. No, no bet. This is a bet Midler free podcast. Look at me. I'm see. I'm trying to set you up. That's like right in your. That's pop culture for you. That is no, no that bet is. Midler is two votes to one thing. So that was your prom. That was like your prom. Uh, no, my prom, prom song was um, I "These that, Are Days" by Ten Thousand Maniacs. I think okay. I think that was a shot at me. And as I said, this will be a bet Midler free podcast. Thank you. <laughs> but anyway, um, are you a big bet Midler fan? We're not getting. I'm I'm, not, I'm I'm turning this back to Wendell Smallwood right now. So to. To see him from several yards away was to see, A, he was wearing number 28 and that he had a long name on the back of his jersey. It looked like Carell Buckhalter. Yeah. It really did. It, it took me back to like 2003, 2006. Like, oh, there's Buck back running, you know. And again, getting back to what we had mentioned about the familiarity of the whole thing and how they're going to use these guys. I mean, if, if you're right about Smallwood, he's going to... He's going to get a number of touches this year. That's how this offense works. But the, so then the, the second reason why I brought that up Darren Sproles is because when juxtaposed, and this is the, the bigger reason, when juxtaposed with the whole Bradford situation, we just found out yesterday that Sproles hasn't been at any yes. of these workouts that exactly. Sam Bradford was so crucified for missing because yes. they were such a big deal. We didn't even know. <laughs> we didn't even know Sproles wasn't there. And guess what? It didn't make a lick of difference. No, like this whole the, this whole notion that Sam Bradford quit on his team is is <laughs> they're voluntary. Even, They're voluntary, and even if they weren't, the fact that we, the fact that it's not significant enough that anybody knew that Darren Sproles was not there is, is, I mean, it's just, it's, it's funny when you, when you look at it. Narratives, narratives. Yeah. So, what are my other observations, Mike? Tell me. You want me to tell you what your observations yeah, I forget, were? I forget them already. Um, something about the quarterbacks. Yes, Chase Daniel. This, this guy. <laughs> this, I think this is a reflection on me personally, but. Chase Daniel really bothers me. Just the whole notion of him. It's not him. I'm sure he's a swell guy. But when you saw him out there playing uh, with other grown men in football helmets, this guy is so small. It's it's amazing to me that anybody ever talked themselves into thinking that Chase Daniel could be a starting quarterback in this league. And, and you know, it's amazing to me, too, that Doug Peterson swears by this guy to the point, to the tune of, 21 million dollars over three years i mean like this guy there's a reason why three different nfl teams have 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 taken a look at this guy and let him go without ever giving him an opportunity i mean he's he's attempted 60 passes in his career and when you were finally seeing him in person with other grown football players on tuesday you could see why he's never been in a football game because he's just so small i can't even describe how small he looks i mean i remember watching him in missouri and thinking that he was that small, and, and I admittedly haven't seen too much of him since then, but it doesn't surprise me. You know, I, w- I had people know I do the weekly video thing with Spadero. He comes over mm-hmm. here. We sit down and talk for five minutes. I'm sure and it's I, it, I, enthralling. Well, I'm the, you know, I'm the guy who sits on the couch, and he's the guy who works for the Eagles. So between the two of us, 
something comes out. It's um, something comes you know, out. And, 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 which well, end? Which end of you guys? It comes out. I'm not the, sure. Well, the mouth. Right. But you know the, you know I asked him about that, and and I you know, his answer is going to be his answer. I get that. But he said, his expectation is that Chase Jan- Chase Daniel is going to suit up. Yeah. With, I mean, and he's going to be the backup to Sam Bradford. I, and I I just sit there thinking. You know, I said to him, and I still stand by the fact that I think the week three is the first shot we might see of Carson Wentz toward the end of the Pittsburgh game because I think the Eagles are going to get kicked around like a you know like a dish rag by that by the Steelers, and the opportunity will be there towards the end of the game to give Wentz some run. Daniel strikes me as being almost there to be more an assistant coach than an actual player. Yeah, which is weird to me. Like that, just the whole notion that. The Eagles hired a guy who needs to bring in a quarterback to be an assistant coach. I mean, I, I get it, but not for the amount of money they spent them, and not for the you know for the no. For it's the, just 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 the whole ch- that, you know? Mike was talking about narratives. You know, just this whole Chase Daniel narrative has has just really been fascinating to watch because the guy it's Chase Daniel. The guy he's he's gone from being nobody, you know, and again to to being waived by Washington and allowed to leave by by New Orleans. To starting what one or one game maybe in his in his career to throwing sixty passes you know total in the NFL to this offseason people thinking that he was a legitimate candidate to start for the Philadelphia Eagles instead of Sam Bradford and you know Doug Peterson yesterday this was throw this down then as my my roundabout observation somebody asked him you know is there a chance that you give Carson Wentz some run in games the way. Andy Reid did with Donovan McNabb, the way he did with Michael Vick and Donovan McNabb. Um, somebody asked him essentially, what's your plan? I mean, are you going to get him a couple series every couple weeks? And and Doug Peterson, again, like a weird... The loyalty to Chase Daniel. Yeah, well, that's what, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. like, so <laughs> what did he say? He said, it's hard for me to say that with Chase Daniel sitting right there. Which to me, first of all, I think that, yes, he absolutely plans on getting Carson Wentz into, into games. Yes. And... Uh, the fact that he thinks he owes, I just, the Chase Daniel thing, explain it to me. I think Peterson looks at Daniel and sees himself. I think it's as simple as that. He sees a guy with limited physical tools who is able to stay in the league because he's a relatively smart guy and a relatively agreeable guy in that, you know, he's he a does, little too agreeable to me. Like, yeah. Like there the might, whole, all right. Chase Daniel's a scrub. Like that's what it comes down. Like he's, I'm not saying just in terms like the NFL hierarchy. He's a scrub. Like mm-hmm. he's, he he is he is what I was on the JV basketball team. You right. know, the the guy who, you know, hustle is only there because he hustles and is a good teammate and yada yada yada. Right. But he like milks that a little too much for me. Like he the the whole no, like he Jeff Jeff McLean in the Inquirer yeah. today had a story about Chase Daniel. Don't count me out of this quarterback competition. It's like, dude, shut up. Like <laughs> seriously, you have no shot. And I think that's a little bit of like. People want it. It's sick to me because it almost makes me want to like vomit a little bit because people want to see that out of Sam Bradford. Like yes. they want it. They want that like naivete. Like, like I don't care. I'm not gonna like Carson. Carson Wentz is gonna have to pry this thing. Like Sam Bradford's been a star his entire life. He doesn't have to do the whole scrub thing. Like he's like, dude, you're like Sam Bradford listens to Chase Daniels. Like, dude, you're cornball. Like, come on, you're a scrub. Like, yeah. be honest. Like, well, I mean, like, that's cut, it's, cut the crap. It's the it's the there's two things at work. One is the thing that I call and you. I know you're familiar with this, is the David Eckstein phenomenon. Yes, absolutely. Which is the the whole idea of, like, people love watching David Eckstein, you know, former shortstop at the Cardinals Steen and the Angels. Stein. Stein, whatever. Um, who 
played at made every play like it was yeah. his last. And, so Freddie Galvis. Yeah, yeah, played hard all the time. Well, there was a reason he played absolutely, yeah. you know, a hundred percent effort all well, the it's time. Also, it's that he would look like it. Too. There's a reason yeah. why it looked like he was trying so hard. Because he was five seven and one hundred and forty pounds. Aaron Rowan is another. But this is different in that and he, like, Eckstein had to – the reason you say that is because Eckstein had to play that hard because it was the only way he would stay in the major leagues. Well, and yeah. like you hear people say, well, they look make, make it look so easy. Like maybe he wasn't even playing that hard. He just makes it look hard. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that's me. right. It's like, it would, it's like me. Like if I was like racing Usain Bolt, you'd be like, man, mm-hmm. he's really giving it all he's got. Like right. no, I just look like an idiot trying yeah. to run a sprint next to Usain Bolt. And the other thing is that Philadelphia sports fans, and I think people would acknowledge this, like to be pandered to. It was right. the whole idea of – after the Eagles drafted him, Carson Wentz uh, filed or posted or had someone file or post an essay on the Players Tribune about being tough from North Dakota and like you're used to playing in the cold and and your hands you know landing against the 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 freezing cold gravel and people ate that up and it was like well they liked Carson Wentz talking about right. being tough more than they liked Sam Bradford who would rehab two devastating knee injuries right. and actually I'm not saying Carson Wentz isn't tough right. but there's no doubt Sam Bradford is tough to come back from what he came back from and people didn't want to hear that because no. he didn't talk it the way Carson Wentz has. that's a, that's the fascinating thing about Philadelphia I don't know if it's like this ever it's definitely not like this in Tampa where I where I worked before this but they don't really nothing's like anything in Tampa uh, but but we make we make our judgments based on the most superficial stuff. The most the stuff that has nothing to do with what actually happens on the field. Like we, we this town judges people more like uh, they judge people more on how they talk in their press conferences than they do with and, and and how they look. Like a guy again, go back to to sports radio. The the one guy is like the one guy says I just don't like the way he looks. I mean, the sleeves and the like. And he prefaces this by saying, "Look, we know. Look, look, we know Sam Bradford's like really accurate, and he can read defenses, and he and he throws a really good football." He's like, "But like, he can't stay healthy. That's legitimate." But he's mm-hmm. like, "And he just like he doesn't look like a quarterback. Like he doesn't. He's got those sleeves, and he's like, I'm like, dude, you're gonna you're gonna be in for a long life if if you keep, you know like that's the why answer- they like Chase. They want they just want to see more of Chase Daniel. And this guy actually said he's like, why can't why can't Sam Bradford talk like Chase Daniel? I think that's why I don't like Chase Daniel. Just because like <laughs> the, guy, the guy said on the radio, why can't Sam Bradford talk like Chase Daniel? Yeah, yeah. This and I I have look. A lo- this is there's no greater example of this than Donovan McNabb, who right. threw four touchdown passes on a broken ankle, who became physically sick whether you threw up or not. During the Super Bowl, because he was so exhausted and, that was and, and why taking they so many hits, but that was why they—that was why they deprived Eagles fandom of their greatest living dream of all time—is because he threw up in a Super Bowl. Well, whether he did or he didn't, he, there's no doubt he was physically exhausted and spent and beaten up. Yet he smiled at the wrong times. Right. So that's he played bad. the air guitar. Yeah. You know, he, like, he didn't know the rules of overtime. You know, like it's just—it's interesting to me just how how. People didn't like Andy Reid. Like half the reason people didn't like Andy Reid was because of his press conferences. Yes, <laughs> that's this the reason this they didn't like the guy who used to be the president and general manager of the Sixers is because he didn't give any press conferences. This, it's fascinating. This, no, all, no city watches press conferences like Philadelphia. No. This with all due, well, not in sports, at least. I mean, I don't. Washington, Washington watches press, press con- conferences, but not in sports. This is why. I mean, I make no secret of this on, on social media, so I'll say it here. This is why I don't listen to sports talk radio at all. 
I would throw it out. I would throw every you device you out what the you're window. Doing, you realize what you're doing, right? What you're participating in right now, right? You're basically participating in sports talk radio. Yes, but not, it's, it's a and nobody listens to it. So it's, the, uh, it's highbrow enlightened sports talk radio. Okay. But yes, it's, but it's sports talk. I, radio. Why I do not he listen said to, as he smelled his own fart. <laughs> yes. Why I, why I do not listen to either of these sports talk radio stations in this town on a regular basis is because I can't. They don't stand talk by, about they don't talk I, about soccer. I cannot or track stand. And field. Well, they That's don't talk about soccer. About. They're never going to talk about soccer. I long since made peace with that. I can't stand the call. You want an all Kevin Durant sports talk station? I can't. The callers make me want to throw things up. Let's, 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 the callers are our are our, are our uh, clientele. The, the, yes. the callers pay my customers. salary. I get that, but they drive me crazy. You should you should ask them for a raise. <laughs> no, it's just it, it's more the group thing. I don't think like like individually. I think I love Philadelphia. And I love the fan base, and but it's just we latch. And again, I think it comes down to the, that that fatal optimism thing we were talking about, where like they're just so desperate to believe in something. Yes, that you know, like they. I, I don't yeah. know exactly what it is. I would have to do some some thinking and talking to actual clinical <laughs> professionals but there, there's like a very weird like psychological group think within this fan base and i think the sam bradford thing is an ex, excellent example of it because it makes no sense it's like logically it makes no sense rationally it makes no sense why people are so angry at sam bradford right and there's another example of it that has come up in the last couple of days uh, not in the last couple of days within the last what 18 to 24 right. hours which is the news that the Sixers are going to have the number one overall pick in this year's NBA draft. The reaction to this, on the one hand, from the fan base is understandable. You know, this is great. This, the, our team is going to have the number one overall pick. They're going to take either Ben Simmons or Brandon Ingram. And that's, that's natural and understandable, and I totally get it. You know, yay, things broke our, the way for our team. Good. The reaction from the Sixers themselves, to me, has been something entirely different. They had a rally on the steps of the art museum today where they spread they a giant carpet. They was it did? a carpet or a flag? Excuse Ugh. me, a flag on the steps. Might as of, well have been a carpet because it covered the entire steps of the thing. And it said number one on it. Now, this is coming on the heels, of course, of their major announcement that they have become the first American uh, professional sports franchise to have a sponsor's logo on their team's jersey. They've made a deal with StubHub, and starting in 2017, every Sixers player's jersey is going to have a StubHub logo on it. And they probably did not get enough money for it. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, who knows how much money they got for it. I think being the first to do it is smart from everybody. I'm sure StubHub played a premium for that because we're all mentioning StubHub right now. By the way, why does StubHub need to advertise? Good question. They They set the market, and I'm pretty sure that unless the NBA puts a rule on the amount of money you can sell this sponsorship for, there's going to be plenty of other teams in the NBA that get more money than the Sixers did. All right. Well, the be that as it may, whatever, they're the first one to I mean, do I did, it. Like, no, no, no. All right. What is your – why do you think that? Like, what's your what's – your... Because I have watched plenty of – first of all, because the Knicks and the Lakers and the Celtics are still to come, and the Bulls. Right, but, I mean, they're, those teams are going to get more – They're. I mean – They're going to – unless the NBA sets – Unless the NBA says this right, is how course, much you will sell, of course the Knicks and the Lakers are going to get more for the logos but on the, the jerseys. They sell more so jerseys. They, they're in front so of the more Sixers eyes. Have held out for more money because the Lakers will get more later. I'm saying going first was a mistake. No, I think going first is smart because then going going second doesn't matter. Going first matters because StubHub pays you more money because everyone's going to be talking about StubHub and the Sixers being the first. Right. Like that's you get a lot of extra advertising. No one's going to be talking about. 
whoever that signs the next deal. Like we're we're talking about we're giving StubHub free advertising right now as you know, yeah. every, you know, I, I, I will the, agree but that's to disagree with you. Look, the, the, but you, you haven't made an argument. You've just said you disagreed. Because, well, because I do follow a sport in which Jersey sponsorships not only get sold, but get sold at a premium with much bigger space than what goes in the NBA. And you, sometimes multiple Jersey sponsorships on a single soccer jersey and the amounts of money that those command can are can be much higher than what the Sixers got. How, what did they get? At, at, for a Manchester United or something? But like what, did, what did the Sixers get? Was it $5 million a year, I think? I don't know. I don't know the number. I think it was $5 million a year. And I think that... Well, they, you're the one arguing. Look it up. I'm look, I'll but look it up now. All this I, is beside the point, which is... I wouldn't have gone first. Is that, that's all my point. Okay. All this is beside the point, which is that the Sixers are themselves, not necessarily the fans, but the Sixers themselves are taking an unseemly amount of glee in being yeah. the and having the number one overall pick that I yes that which, I agree with completely you know I mean that I, bothers me as a, as a as Brett Brown you would have thought he won an Oscar last yeah night. there was like he was on the verge of, of tears his, his voice was and again Brett Brown he's, I'll a, give a, he's allowed I'll, I'll give a pass to anybody right but it was just funny it was just, and it was honestly they're, 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 in, a, in a way they're feeding off their fan base because I got three different text messages from three different friends yesterday asking me if I wanted to go out for I'm like go out for what yeah for the lottery, I'm like, wow. I remember we used to go out for playoff games in this town. <laughs> now we're going out. Everyone's like, you know, so there has been, it's funny because the Sixers, the irony is that as much vitriol as the Sixers have inspired, this is as excited as people have been about this team. It, it absolutely is. Yes. And that's fine. But, but my, my only point is, like that, yeah, it? my only point no, is that even Sam Hankey, the architect of quote unquote the process, recognized and understood that it was an, a necessary evil. Like, he didn't look at it and go, this is going to be awesome for everybody. He looked at it and said, look, this is what we have to it was do. It's like going to be unpleasant. It was like a bizarro Disney movie. Yes. Where, like, instead of, like, <laughs> overcoming all odds to win, they, like, finally got the right odds in losing. Right. And, but, but, but the, as, like you said, the reaction, it was almost like you needed a, you know, Bette Midler montage. <laughs> you, you know, you, like... <laughs> From a di- I just want to thank. And literally, I, I, I just as, want to thank the city of Philadelphia. As we are ta- discussing this, is, this right now, I, I just got an email from the Sixers that their 2016 draft party will take place, <laughs> presented by DraftKings, on June 23rd at Eakins Oval. So on on 2451 Benjamin. It's going to rain that night. You just watched. It was just uh, it, the whole the whole thing has just been hilarious because again, he he was talking as if. He had won the NBA Finals, right? And, and I mean, quivering voice and everything. And they made draft you a player to, who can't play. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's the thing, is, and and that's that's. I'll tell you what, I am not a basketball scout, and I won't pretend to be one. Like I'll pretend to be a quarterback scout. But Ben Simmons, when I watch him play, he's just missing something. You know, like he doesn't. Yeah, and I, no, and, I'm with and, you. And whatever he's missing, and I don't know if this is the not scout coming in i don't know if that's normal if guys develop that in the nba or what but i know that ingram goes to the rim yeah and he has a little bit of that i mean i rem- I, I just have this image of kevin durant in my mind against the warriors taking the ball from the wing and driving and getting to the hoop and it was something you just did not see from ben simmons in a weak college conference and i don't care what people say as lsu could have two first round draft picks in this, and they in didn't this draft, make the tournament including a trans a, a transformative player allegedly and they didn't make the tournament in basketball if you are a transcendental player to me you make it i mean davidson made 
the Elite right. Eight with Steph Curry. Right. You know, which it's interesting. John and I were discussing this before the show about the 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 import that fans and experts place on uh, a college player's team's success, particularly within the NCAA tournament. And Duran is always held up as kind of that example where where in his one year at Texas, they got bounced. I think it was in the second round mm. and got blown out in that game. So there were reservations. People had reservations about Kevin Durant because, well, if he were really that great, they wouldn't have gotten bounced and he wouldn't have had the bad game and Texas would have made a deep run, et cetera, et cetera. To which the response is, well, that's where scouting comes into play. If you are watching game after game and you see Kevin Durant being competitive, being a killer at the end of games, doing all the things that a player ought to do in the way a player ought to do them, and his team is not very good around him or he has a bad night, that's one thing. If, as you said, with respect to Simmons, you're watching this kid night after night and you just see, yeah, the skills are there, but like for seven minutes in the middle of a game against Florida, he just vanishes for no reason, then that's like something that's, else entirely. I'm with you. Where I mean, the Durant thing is to me is not a legitimate criticism because of the, A, it's the one and done. It's, it's, there's a, a lot the of one and done nature of, yeah. of the tournament can but, lens itself. But as to you that, said, yeah. I mean that's a, put, put it this way, that's a small sample size. Kevin right. Dur- I mean Kevin Durant led Texas not a basketball powerhouse by any means to a a at least not before Kevin Durant got there. Uh he led them to a, a very 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 good season, a, a high ranking in the NCAA tournament, yada yada yada. Whereas this is a they 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 ran into the wrong team. LSU was in a weak basketball conference. Yep. The weakest basketball conference one could argue. Um Relative to its Relative, size rel- and yeah. money and all that stuff. And in a sport, again, where there's five guys on the court, you know, with another first round, potential first round pick playing with him, there's, n- it's, I'm not saying it's it's a results thing because I'm still thinking about more of the process that I watched in them right. not getting to the tournament. But as you said, he would disappear, you know, like that, that does say something to me that he was unable, for whatever, whatever you want to say, he was unable to elevate his team the way transcendental players like Durant and uh Steph Curry, and Steph, Steph Curry yeah. Steph Curry I'm t- I'm strictly talking uh, yeah. college right yeah, okay. now but yeah. like yeah like Curry like Curry to me Curry and Durant frankly are two excellent and, and Mello put Mello like Mello yeah. that 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 Syracuse sure. team was all right. Mello you know right. I mean that 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 Syracuse team wasn't any better around Mello than than they did have Hakeem Warwick. He was the second best player. Who's, yeah, but I mean, yeah, but, Hakeem player, War, but, but Hakeem Warwick is 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 I, I'm blanking that, on the guy's name from LSU, the, the second guy from LSU. But. Te- yeah. The Texas team had DJ Augustine at the point guard, which sure helped Durant a lot. Uh, yeah, but DJ, but who's DJ Augustine been since he, well, he played he, with Kevin college, Durant? He was really good. Well, yeah, he also played with Kevin Durant. I mean, we, it's yeah. hard to like take them out of it's it's hard to tease them out of that. Put it this way, they weren't like. They were the guy on any one of those teams. Yes. This wasn't yeah. like Duke where they had five McDonald's All-Americas. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm, like It makes I'm, sense when Duke players come out of Duke and it's like, oh, if you take them away from – if they're right. not playing on a team that's superior to their competition, they're not necessarily great. But, you know, we saw Melo did not have that type of team around him. Uh, Durant did not have that type of team around him. Curry definitely did not have that type of team around him. Right. And, and the Duke the Duke stigma has changed. Kyle Lowry didn't have that type of team around him. Yeah. Argue. Kyle, well, for one year, Kyle Lowry had a very good team around him. The Duke stigma has changed, by the way, now that Krzyzewski has taken on many more one-and-done guys than sure. he used to do. That that old where, yeah. where there was a while where people said Duke guys wouldn't make it in the NBA. I don't think that's No, I mean, look, just look at the well, last— that's a, that's a dumb argument. Yeah. Like, any, uh, like yeah. Just because you wear a Duke jersey right. doesn't mean you're going to flop in the like you can't You can't hold something against a guy just because he went to Duke. Right. Like, even, even if it's true that, guy, that Duke guys have not fared great, right. which is fine. Right, right. But, but— it, 
but it okay, that doesn't so, have any relevance on whether Brandon Ingram. I'm, I'm just saying it was there for a while. And I know it's been gone for. Yeah. Let me read this about Brandon. I'm I'm a guy who says the Sixers should draft Ingram. Okay. I'll read this. This is something that I mentioned to Mike. Um, have you Have you informed them of that opinion? Are they Are they aware of this? Then they don't give the okay. slightest rats right. behind what I think, and I, I can. I can do without them giving the slightest rats behind what I think. Anyway, we'll this, go. this is um, something that I was talking to Mike <laughs> about when we were overdoing our video earlier on Wednesday. I, I wrote a thing on, on Tuesday, sort of some sort of little bits and pieces of what various scouts have said about Brandon Ingram and Ben Simmons. This was from Chad Ford of ESPN. Quote. Chad Ford of Pennsylvania, Chester County, Pennsylvania. Nice one. <laughs> That's Chad's. Oh. One, one <laughs> team plural. official told me Ingram's interview was a home run. He was asked by the head coach to come up and diagram a last-second play for himself. He confidently walked to the whiteboard and diagrammed a, quote, heck of a play, end quote, according to the official. Quote, he's got more than long arms and a jump shot, he said. He's got a really good feel for the game, end quote. I can't see Ben Simmons, independent of he's got a really good feel for the game, I can't see Ben Simmons diagramming an end-of-game play for an NBA talent evaluator. I, I, I don't know whether I don't he know, can or he can't. But, it does but I do know that Chad Ford probably has Ben Simmons number one and Ingram number two now. Probably. I I don't remember. I know Draft Express has Ingram number one. I know Jay Billis has Simmons number one, which is interesting. Okay, then maybe that's why I'm thinking Chad yeah. Ford. But I anyway, don't... but it gets to the question, I think an a, a interesting question for the Sixers, which is what sort of factors do you take into consideration beyond what you think the sheer talent of these guys is? For instance, I would argue that the Sixers probably at this point, and, you know, and I'm still doing research and looking these guys over, at this point, I would argue the Sixers probably ought to take Ingram for this reason. You shot for the moon on Embiid, and you're not in a position now, I don't think, with so much to learn about the guys you presumably are going to have, i.e. Embiid, Saric, Okafor, Noel, and whoever you take with this pick, that you're better served by taking the surer thing the guy who you're more confident is going to become a solid to terrific NBA player. And it seems by all accounts right now that Ingram is that guy. That there's that while Simmons may have more upside, Ingram is the sure bet to become just a solid, you know, you're not going to go wrong taking this and kid kind of guy. And potentially at the three where they could really use right. him. Right. And, and Chad Ford has been Simmons number one. Okay. Um that that's the way I'm leaning right now. In that they're they're at they've had their chances to shoot for the moon, and and since this draft doesn't have the surefire LeBron Anthony Davis kind of guy, that in their situation you really can't miss or you can't take a player who is so unpredictable in what he might become that you got to wait a long time. I mean I think they should wait anyway, but they got enough. They got to figure out enough right now. And, right, if you're going to develop Simmons, you're going to develop him into what? A point guard? A forward? A I would three? think. I don't know. I would think a point guard. I would think a six ten point guard. Um, you know, and I think that depended. That would that depended on where they ended up in the lottery. If they had gotten the number two pick and the number four pick, for instance, they'd have been in really good shape because then. Number one, the choice is out of your hands with respect to the first guy you take. You know, you don't have to choose between Simmons and Ingram. You just take whichever guy wasn't picked. And then at number four, you can get the point guard, presumably, you need, whether it's Chris Dunn, whether it's Murray from Kentucky, you know, if both of those or guys... You, or you could get Buddy Heald. Or you or, get Buddy Heald, whatever. 
I don't know that heel's quick enough for the NBA. I'm not sure he is either. I, but I, I think that the – and you and I were you – know, we talked about this earlier, Mike. Obviously, they can go out and get a point guard. That's easily enough. But I actually think that not getting that fourth pick was a pretty big sting against what they were – Well, I mean, the, the, the Lakers – there, there's no um, there's no restrictions on the Lakers pick turning over to them next year. So unless the Lakers are surprisingly good in the Western Conference, which I don't think they're going to be, I mean, they won what 19, 20 games this year. I don't think I don't know that they're going to be a top four draft pick team next year. I think it's very possible they will. They're going to be super young, and even if they improve by ten games, they're going to win what twenty nine, thirty. Yeah, there, there's just something weird about Simmons. I mean, and, and, and I, I usually don't if, go into this line of of reasoning, but. Again, he chooses to go to LSU in the first place. Yes. He doesn't end up being a transformative player at LSU. They don't even make the tournament. Doesn't play in the NIT. You know, that that whole thing was... The way that season ended was a little weird for them as a team. And then he doesn't show up for the combine. Right. Doesn't, doesn't get his measurements taken. Doesn't do any interviews. Doesn't do any drills. Now, remember, like, apparently... I just love using the logic that people employ in past arguments. Like, apparently, the fact that the Sixers couldn't interview... Kristaps Porzingis was like, for whatever reason. terrible. Yeah. It was, he didn't want to play for the Sixers. Yeah. And shockingly, I said this on Twitter yesterday, but it's, it's, it's amazing that the Sixers keep hiring these presidents that who, whose mere presence deters a, tries to get agents to deter their players from, from <laughs> going because I, there was a report that said Ben Simmons agents now are trying to steer him to the Lakers. Right. And that's, I mean, I thought that was the whole reason why we got rid of Hinky. Right. Well, know? well now I, I think that Ben Simmons agents see, the big name guy for the Lakers. You think in their eyes is that, is that you think that's what's going on? And so, so wait, wait, wait. So it wasn't Hinky, and it was Murph's, Murph's being provocatively sarcastic here. I don't know I about know. provocatively, but I mean, the, the, yeah, it's stupid. It's a stupid. It's a it's stupid, stupid reasoning. The idea that that, but it's, yeah. it's obvious when it's not. There's right. no agenda and, to be. And here's right. another thing yeah. that I think about with the Sixers, knowing as you said that Ingram wait, 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 is the wait, wait, more. Well, like, let me let me, yeah, let me finish my thought. The so so Simmons, how are you gonna? It, all the other questions aside, like it just there just seems to be a lot of like he's from Australia, like he's from Australia. His toilets don't flush the right way, <laughs> you know. Like there's just a lot of things about him that like. Well, I I think what if there weren't another option, that's one thing. Yes, but th- again, I don't. This is all. This would all just you know. There's not everything I've heard of from Ben Simmons over the last two years since when he was like the next you know the next LeBron has been like. Kind of dialing it back, like yes. makes, giving you more and more. Re- there has never been a moment where I've been when I've said, "Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah." Here he is. It's right. always been. There's just always been. And here's another reason to but like wonder. He, here's another reason to wonder. He, here's he, another reason to wonder. He just strikes me again. I'm still learning as much as I can about him. He strikes me as the kind of guy who you take in a draft, and he becomes like a a Tim Thomas kind of a guy right. whose talent is completely recognizable, and in flashes you see this brilliance from him. But there's, as we mentioned, there's something missing there. And so... And I'm not saying it's a mental thing or right. like a... Right. There's like just a, something not quite there. Yeah, it's just like all these... It, there's got to be explanations. Like, why did he not go to the tournament? Why did he... You know, why right. didn't he show up for the... Yeah. I have right. something provocative to say. Uh-oh. Look out! The name Evan Turner comes to mind. But see, what's funny about Evan Turner is that going into the draft... The, the reason that people were high on Evan Turner right. was because he was perceived to exactly. be a good character guy. Yeah. Like, the fact that he couldn't shoot from the outside and couldn't really break anybody down off the dribble was overlooked because 
He's Evan Turner, he's a, and he's a leader, and he's a good guy. There were some things written about Evan Turner in both the Inquirer and the Daily News, in fact, that if you go back and look at the the clips, we're like, it's interesting. This is going to be, and you know, this is great because yeah. he has this intangible thing that will make up for all his shortcomings. And it turned out, uh, uh-uh. uh, Evan Turner is a fascinating. I think that actually there are some parallels because that's, and again, I don't think it's a character. I think I don't know that it's a character thing. Right. I think it's like some people just have that. Like you, there needs to be, there needs to be that get to the rim mm-hmm. mentality when you hit that type of player. And yes. I think I was a, I really liked Evan Turner in college. I was one of those guys who was like, you know, this is a two player draft, not a one player draft. This mm-hmm. is great. But, but yeah, whatever that. I mean, because Evan Turner wasn't a bad guy necessarily here, right? He wasn't a low character guy. No, right? he, he was just not a, he live was up just to the height. He was odd. He was just weird. Yeah. Odd. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of the same. Flighty, flaky, yes. you know, almost. And and yep. that's, I think that's more, like Ben Simmons could be the greatest guy in the world, but there's reasons to, there's at least reasons to wonder and there's at least reasons to think why if, you know, there, if that's substantiated the wonder, there's reasons to think that that will translate onto the court because I feel like that's, it was a very, his numbers were very empty at LSU. Yes, I agree. I agree. If I were the Sixers, this is just me right now. If I were the Sixers, I would take Ingram and I would, the one signing, the one quote-unquote major move I would make in the offseason is to try to get an affordable veteran point guard. That's it. That's all I would do. I, Be- which I think they will do in, as much because Sam Hinkie didn't as anything, but that might well, that, be the be wrong that reason, as it but may, I think they'll do it. Yes. But be that as it may, that's what I would do because the thing that they need to do, I would not, you see a lot of rumors out there about them possibly dealing Okafor to the mm. Celtics for the number three overall pick. I wouldn't do any of that stuff. Because you don't know what you have in this collection of presumed talent that you think you're going to get. You don't know what Embiid is yet. You don't even know if he's going to stay healthy. You don't know what Sarich is yet. You really don't know what Okafor is. And you have to see if Noel has made any kind of progress as an offensive player. So the best thing that they could do would be, it seems to me, get in a veteran point guard who can just kind of run an offense. Just settles everything down. You know he gets the ball over half court. You know he can make a good pass to the post. Find a guy, you know, cutting off the three-point line. And you learn about these guys. You find out if Nick Stauskas is really terrible or whether he can be kind of a J.J. Redick sort of guy. Mm. And, and by the end of the year, just by the fact that you can't possibly be any worse than you were last year, you will have made some improvement. There's the impression of progress. And now you know more about this group. And then you make the next great leap yeah, forward. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this is, this is a transition year. Or the next step as they're billing right, right. in six-year land. It's uh yeah it's it's I think I'll say this about Simmons because I don't want to I don't want to give the impression that I'm there's a reason why Chad Ford had, still has a number right, one I mean right. all, everyone there's a but with everything that I'm saying here he's still an elite physical talent and that's clear and that might be enough I mean I don't know I'm not an expert on Brandon Ingram either no. all I know is that one little thing is uh, I just know that Brandon Ingram has more of that get to the hoop drive mm-hmm. uh, you know ability maybe it is quicker first step I would say. Um, and all the other stuff is just things that they're caveats. You know, there's no, yeah. it's re- why he's not John Wall. It's why he's not an, uh, that obvious, uh, you know, that obvious. Right, right. What was it? What was the, wh- who were the other drafts that you, you mentioned? Um, uh, no obvious number one. No. Um, well, I'm thinking, I'm, you go back a while, obviously LeBron, Anthony Davis. That's right. Anthony Davis. You know. Or um, even like Carl Anthony Town. You know, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's the hard part about this. Like, like compare, it's, this is going to sound odd, but compare a guy like a Shane Battier who comes out of Duke in 2001 and Steph Curry in 2008, okay? 
both really high character guys. Like you could not find two better people mm-hmm. as you know as compared to Shane Battier and Steph Curry. But so you you maybe you draft each one thinking like, well, they will work hard because right. they will work hard and show up every day. The possibility for them blooming is there. Well, Shane Battier never really bloomed. Mm-hmm. He just was a really smart intelligent player who knew how to defend guys and would hit an open three-point shot. Steph Curry has become since Steph Curry because that character allowed him to overcome some serious ankle injuries and it led to him like putting the work in to improve himself physically and now he's the best player on the planet. Um, That's where I come back to, by all accounts, Ingram is that quality of kid. Maybe he's he does very hard to put himself. He that's the one thing. His trajectory, you know, he, he wasn't even a top, I think, twenty recruit right. in the in the nation his junior year of high school, senior year of high school. He's gotten a lot better. Yeah. Whereas I don't know that Ben you can say the same thing about Ben Simmons. I don't know. I don't know. I mean it's all speculation, right. but you but you try to read these tea leaves as best you can. I'm I'm looking at NBA draft.net at the moment to sort of see where guys are landing. And I'm thinking about what holes you can fill with the other two first round draft picks? I don't think you. Can. I mean, you can't. You can't fill holes with the twenty fifth and twenty seventh. You're, you're drafting guys that you're just hoping will well uh, develop sure, into but something. I would say DeAndre Bembry might be one of them. I and look, I think that Demetrius Jackson of Notre Dame or Josh Hart or Malcolm Brogdon ought to be the other. Yeah, the point is, those are guys that are going to be. Those, those guys are might not even get getting games. Yeah, I mean, year, you know. You're looking for solid rotation players. That's what you're hoping you can get at that point. Having said that, I do think the Sixers are at the point where um, in those picks, if if a Bembry or a Josh Hart is available, they would do worse than taking a shot on a guy like that. Yeah. You know, because they I mean, are... Those are D-League guys. That's what I'm saying, essentially. It, it, that's what in, most, in all likelihood, they're going to be, but... I mean, Bembry, people are very high on Bembry for relative to where he they think he's going to get picked in the draft. Um He's had some stellar workouts. From yeah, and 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 to be honest, like I, I normally wouldn't say this, but given where the Sixers are from a PR standpoint, like it would not be the worst thing in the world for no. them to 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 sign Ryan Archidiakono. Not that I'm oh, suggesting you love Ryan Archidiakono. Only, only from this standpoint. <laughs> only from this standpoint. He's he's. Oh, Mike's got a serious face on. No, only from this standpoint. I'm just kidding. He uh, he's a nice guy. He has no illusions about what kind of player he's going to be in the NBA. Like he, I did an interview with him last week, and he said, "Like I aspire, basically said I aspire to be Matthew Dellavedova," which, rec- you know, shows he recognizes, you know, how lucky he'd he's be just to be self- that guy. He's definitely self-aware. Self-aware, right? Um, and it would be a decent PR move. And the worst thing that happens is he can't play, yeah, and you cut absolutely. him. You know, so you know that's fine. But I don't. But I like Hart and Bembry as players at those spots in the draft. That if you if one of them's there, I would be all for the. Did Hollis Jefferson play this year a lot at all? Uh, or was he a Dealey guy? I don't think he played much. No. Well, yeah, because so. That, but I'm just saying this was pitched as let's see what holes right. they can fill with these. That's where that's where Hollis Jefferson was drafted last year. Yeah, those are all Dealey guys, just about. Mm-hmm. You know, those are guys who are going to be on the eight, eight, those are your 87ers next year, right. especially I'll, since I'll, you have so many. I mean, you have so much. You have a very full roster already. Yeah, you know? I mean, you've got. Okafor, Noel. Uh, well, you've got five or if six you, guys. If you go yeah. backcourt, if you go backcourt with those lower picks, is my point. I think Demetrius Jackson has a chance to be very good in the NBA, and you'd have yourself a young point guard who, whatever veteran you sign, can mentor. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think that. I mean, 
this is a market, you know, and there's there will be 23 players drafted before them, and usually the 24th best player that goes in the NBA out of college is in the, in yeah, the U-League. He's yeah, not going to be playing next year. Nobody should go in with any expectations no, that the, the picks they get at 24 and 26, the players they get at 24 and 26, are going to be in any way transcendent. If you get a rotation player out of that, you're pretty fortunate. Three if, years from now. Right. I think, I, th- right. I think there are guys who will be available at that point in the draft who will be able to fill that role. When? We'll see. When? In your timeline. But if they do, then they've... I know, I, but, but I was talking about next year. Like let's. I just don't think it's even worth in the NBA draft. It's not even worth. It's not even worth thinking that way. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's. It's. I mean, shoot, the eighth player. Like number eight usually doesn't end up amounting to. Yeah, anything. people are talking about Buddy Heald like he'd be a good rotation. Player. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like he's the kind of guy. Oh, shooter off the bench, sort of thing. Like, and if he's more than that, then that's great. He's more than that. But um, the expectation is not that you're getting like the franchise centerpiece. So, um, yeah. You know, and that's why that's part of the reason why in getting in discussions about the process, I was always I would kind of shake my head at people like, you know, we'll do it the way the Indiana Pacers have done it. You know, they got Paul George. Well, they literally got hit by a bolt of lightning to get Paul George. Paul literally, George, they got hit. by Sorry, they got metaphorically got hit by a bolt of lightning. <laughs> uh, that, I, that's that's bad on my part. I, I, I know I'm, I'm hitting I, myself and, in the head. And, and, and the I Raptors, know better than and that. the Raptors think they're good. And the Raptors and Hawks think they're good. Um you know, they, 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 they were fortunate. The Pacers were fortunate to, to draft Paul George and have him turn into the player he's become. And even then, as close as they've come to greatness is getting within a game of the NBA Finals. Um, so, you know, I, again, I don't have as big an issue with Tim the route the Sixers took to get to this point. Tim Hardaway Jr. was number 24. There you go. And he's nothing more than a rotation shooter. And but he not would particularly be, an outstanding yeah. one at that. You know, um, you know, Nick. I mean, Nick Stauskas was a top. Yeah. You know, he was a lottery pick. You know. What do, what do they have? Twenty four and twenty six. Yeah. Yeah. Rudy Gobert was twenty seven. Um. You know, it's while while I understand the expectations and the excitement over having the number one overall pick. The, beyond that, it has to be tempered. And getting back to where we kind of began this discussion, I think the Sixers are making a big. I, you know, I, I just think it's a misstep on their part. And they've done this kind of consistently over the last couple of years. The, the current ownership, I think, might be the common. Yeah, the, the enthusiasm for what might happen too often to me kind of over, you know, overlooks the reality of what's going on. Like, you know, I think we've talked about this on the show before. They were eager to send out these vines of Joel Embiid yeah. last year, putting the ball between his legs and dunking. And they kind of disregarded the fact that, hey, the guy might get hurt again, you know, and you're setting up everybody f- for disappointment by doing this. And as it turns out, everybody was disappointed because Embiid, you know, suffered the setback. So um, I don't like, I just, the, the word I keep coming back to is unseemly. I don't like this celebration that the team is leading about getting the number one overall pick. You know, you, were, you, weren't, number, you weren't number one, you were number 30. Like Al Pacino said in one of his movies, don't invert stuff, yeah. okay? I'm glad you said that. Can we, can we use that. the word ribald instead of unseemly? We've sure. been using defenestrate so many times on this <laughs> podcast that it's time for something else. I want to go back to something you asked me earlier about the jersey sponsorship because I did find the answer to the question, and I want to make sure the question gets answered on the show. Bloomberg yeah. News said it was $5 million a year. Okay. Manchester United... For its jersey sponsorship with Chevrolet, where they have a Chevrolet logo right across the chest, 
over $108 million a year. Okay. You do realize you just compared a little patch on the shoulder of the 76ers jersey to a giant logo on the center but of the most valuable professional sports team in the world. They're, they're not, but let me, let me, let me then. They're not it, what? They're not the most valuable What's, sports what, team. What, what are they? What, Real, what is they're, they're top 10, but not the most valuable. Okay. Where are the Sixers? I don't know where NBA. Okay. All right. Are. I'm, it, I'm it, just making it so we're on but, the same but page. But here's, here's, here, this might, this to me is an even more interesting comparison. The union for their sponsorship with Bimbo Bakeries get $2.3 million a year. Okay. So the Sixers, who are a much bigger deal in town, who are a much bigger deal beyond town, are getting barely double what the union are getting. I mean, what do you think happened? Uh, do you think that, that StubHub just had master negotiators? I mean, why do you think that? Why do you I, think I, that- I don't know that anybody necessarily knew what the market value was going to be. And they, it, they have it, access to Google just like you do. No, but I, for for this specifically, I think I don't think anybody quite knew what the right market value for an NBA jersey sponsorship should be, which is why I would say somebody else should have gone first and set the market. But then ask, they don't get the the promotion and the publicity of being the first to do it. Fine, you know, it's like the line from um, the Social Network. You know, being first is everything. Um, they were first. So they can be the trailblazers, I guess. Um, you know. I just, I guess, I just don't understand what what your argument is. I think that the the as as this unfolds, this is how me and Spadera started. You're and, going down and, a dangerous path here, buddy. Uh oh. Uh oh. As the market for jersey sponsorships in the NBA unfolds over the course of the next few months, I think we will see a lot of deals done for much bigger numbers than the Sixers. And I think a lot of us will wonder, given the size of this market, even if it had been with StubHub or whoever, couldn't the Sixers have gotten more? Okay. That's um, my only, that's all. Okay. Just all don't right. include me that, don't include me in that we, because I will not be wondering. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> I right. mean, we're talking about, we're talking about the cost of, I mean, $5 million in the grand scheme of things. Like, what do you think they could have gotten? Double that at least. But see, you're just completely throwing that out. Like you have nothing. Well, to it's a smaller up. it's a smaller amount of space. But I think that we will see teams in the NBA, and not just necessarily. Okay, the but then, but the, but then you have to weigh what is the cost of making it the cost in publicity in image of making it bigger. You know. Well, I don't. My point is, I don't think you get that much. All right, so let's out say, of being first well, than guess, you would for getting more money. I just don't think I don't know that. Like, let, let's say the Lakers. Let's say somebody pays the Lakers $25 million. How does that affect the Sixers? I don't know that I don't know that it, it necessarily does, and I wouldn't be surprised. But that's what your argument is, is that I, you should I, let another team go first so they, they can help raise your ship. I think that the any number of teams in the NBA could have gone first, I think. I think the Sixers wanted to go first, and I understand why. But if it and, and it I would also say that relative to the TV contract, all of this stuff is a pittance. And that the TV contract is where the real money is going to come from in terms of signing players. But I think that the, I think that in term, when you talk about overhyping things, I think the value of being first with this is being overhyped by the Sixers. It may be. Um, I think the value of this conversation. I think the value of this conversation has become overhyped. I'm currently Googling uh, synonyms for pittance. (laughs) Um, I'm currently Chunk thinking change and chicken. Food. Um, I think we're done. Yeah. I'm currently thinking that, uh, we will see everybody next week 
And uh, thanks again for listening. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Should we still be should we still be uh, denigrating the Phillies' chances of going to the World Series this year? Are they, I mean, we, one more week and they're still uh, they're still <sighs> they're still rolling. I think I think next week if they are still within three games of first place, we got to spend significant time talking about them. That's yeah. what I think. We'll All see. right, they've still been outscored by forty runs. Crazy, see crazy. They had to just end on this note. Let, Tuesday night, they beat the Marlins three to one. They strike out seventeen hitters in the game. Their closer does not strike out any of them. No. That's John that tells Gomez, you, yeah. That tells you how weird this whole thing is. You know who's all in on the Phillies? Papa Murphy. He loves them. Ah, John John Mar, John Mar Gomez of Northeast Philly. There you go. What? John Mar Gomez, Matt Breen's cousin. John Mar Gomez. Uh, all right.